0: love. There's a topic to jump right into, huh? Love, it evolves, it changes throughout our lives. As we grow and we become more complex, so does love. I have had love outside of that of my family's love since I was young. A love that continuously transformed, a powerful love that shaped part of who I am. Love is funny, isn't it? It's not always romance. Love can be hard. And I'm struggling a lot with love. And one of the oldest loves in my life that's making some really dangerous choices. And I don't see it turning around anytime soon. And that scares me. It leaves me hard choices to make. Do I give up on that love? Do I double down? Can I possibly have a relationship so pivotal and core to who I am, just tossed away? I was 16 years old when I first visited the land of Israel. And I fell in love. It was a mixed, complicated experience, and I struggled for a long time to figure out what box to put that relationship in. It was clearly love. That much was easy. But was it somehow my identity? Was it a place? Was it a familial notion? I I didn't have the answer. Now look, when I was 14 years old, I took a Jewish star sticker to the orthodontist. I asked for my retainer to have a blue a white, a blue stripe, a white stripe, and a blue stripe. Stuck the sticker in the middle. I think it was the first time the orthodontist made an Israeli flag for a retainer, but here I was. <laughs> so it wasn't like I just discovered that love. But it was different. I'm even a little trepidatious and nervous right now talking about the vulnerability of this love. But that same emotional beauty and difficulty that I'm standing with right now is exactly how I felt, 16 years old, standing at the hotel, seeing problems and beauty and everything in between and holding it all so true. Now this summer, Jen and I had the opportunity, the incredible chance to bring our children to Israel for the first time. I am so jealous of my kids who got to experience the land for the first time at such a formative age and to begin to solidify more than Israel as a flag that they wave around on Yom Haatzmaut, or a bowl of hummus, though I do have a good cheat recipe if you need one. I was overwhelmed with so many emotions, complex, rich emotions, as I showed this land that I love to my kids. I was wrestling with how to approach it as a parent, what to expose them to, not to force too much of my own views, and how to see this place through their eyes as their father. Would they obsess over the food? Would they feel something when they walked down the street on Friday night saying Shabbat Shalom to everyone that passed? I had to explain to them that that was Shabbat Shalom and not Tuesday afternoon when we were walking through other areas, but they really caught on to the Shabbat Shalom part. In Israel's national anthem, Hatikva, a song that translates as the hope, is a poem of love, connection, and of course, hope. As long as an inner heart, a Jewish soul still yearns, our hope has not been lost, the hope of 2,000 years, to be a free nation in our land, the land of Zion and Jerusalem. That the Jewish soul is yearning and the historical desire for a homeland, that yearning is love. The national anthem achieves a level of forever love, an evolving, continuous love. For those of you who have not been aware of the ongoings in Israel, the current prime minister's extreme right-wing coalition, a government with what some can only call radicals, has gone after the judicial system, trying to diminish the power of the courts in an attempt to hijack the democracy of the state. This has created an internal strife unlike any the small but mighty country has faced since 1948. This current government does not hold a true mandate of the people anymore. And they've been strategically stripping away at social progress and deconstructing the building blocks that others have laid out with an extreme motivation behind them. I would be lying through my teeth if I didn't admit to you how challenging even saying those words are or how embarrassed and how scary those moments have felt for me when watching some of this. Yet, the Israeli people did not sit stagnant or silent. They started week by week taking to the streets, protesting and making their voices heard, growing in steadfast numbers each and every week over the last nine months. It's been a rebirth of part of the Israeli soul hearing the voices. It's true magic. There's an Israeli author, Edgar Carrick, who shared his perspective in an article, Israeli Democracy is in Danger. He didn't bury the lead there. In Carrot's observation, he said the protests are unlike anything he's ever seen in his life. It crosses all political divides. He says, my whole life, I've never been to a demonstration with so many people with whom I had nothing else in common with, except for demonstrating. To my left were hipsters To my right were high-tech entrepreneurs, behind me were communists, a range of rich and poor people, and the army and consent and conscientious objectors. And what they all have in common is not being willing to lose their democracy. And others have called out for our involvement. At different points over the last decade, I have heard things. I've been told to my face, if you don't live here, how can you comment? If you're not going to be here, how can you possibly say anything? But over these last nine months, I've stopped hearing that from all but the extremes. And centrist core voices have called out, begging the diaspora voice to be involved. As diaspora Jews, we have both the right and the responsibility to critique the government in pivotal moments like this. If the Israeli people can take to the street week after week, speaking their truth in opposition, then those who love Israel need to do the same from their homes, in connection with the protesters. am Yisrael, a people with a remarkable bond. There's a teacher in Israel named Micha Goodman, a well-known voice and and, uh, thinker. And during these last nine months, he shared something that I found truly troubling he shared this political moment in the historical context of what he calls the curse of the eighth decade. You see, there's only been two other times in the history that the Jews have had autonomy over a state. The first, King David's dynasty 3,000 years ago. The second, the Hasmonean dynasty. Both instances, internal strife, complication, and fighting from within, started the downfall and the destruction of those moments in time in the eighth decade. We are the third opportunity. In an experiment founded in 1948, this is the 75th year. We are inching towards that eighth decade. And we have to learn from history. And we have to take pause and even be scared by the very notion if we don't get involved, if we don't voice concern, we could be complacent in the curse of the eighth decade happening again. And this should illuminate a responsibility in all of us to understand that blindly supporting Israel without criticism is not an act of love, but an act of fear. If you are so fearful that you are not willing to say anything, that isn't love. Love And loving something, you speak. If you believe in a strong Israel, you have nuanced and thoughtful conversations. The love is critical. And if we simply blindly support and reject any criticism, we're actually hurting the longevity of our homeland. On Rosh Hashanah, I talked about being comfortable in landscapes of external and eternal change and transformation. And just as we find grounding in our own changes, we have to find that grounding in our relationship with Israel as well. Change is not a sign of instability, but a hallmark of a vibrant living nation. Our love must be adaptable and resilient to accommodate this dynamic future. And these protesters have shown that the true soul of Israel is not lost at all. They have linked the words of Hatikva Odlo Avda Tikva Tenu. They have preserved the true hope within their words. Their actions have made clear that the citizens do not support the dismantling of democracy. They have showcased that the heartbeat of reason still beats loudly in their land. This summer when we were there, I was fortunate enough to be at one of the protests. We were staying just minutes away from the house of the prime minister, and as I walked to the protest, I was around thousands of Israelis smiling and laughing and cheerfully walking to allow their voice to be heard, tying the flag around their neck as a cape, truly happy to know that their voice mattered. And it prompted a very real soul-searching for me. Being both loving and critical is a sign of nuanced and thoughtful relationship. The same nuance that is reflected in our name, Yisrael, we invite our entire community on a regular basis to wrestle with the most basic tenets of our faith. Not sure you believe in God? Fine. Don't know what kind of diet you want? Doesn't matter. You wrestle with your own version of Judaism. You connect however you need to connect. And yet, when it comes to Israel, somehow we cowered. Pull back and say there's a right way to do Zionism. There's a right way to engage and love. There's nothing I care about in this world, nothing that I deeply love and I want to succeed that I would ever, ever support without engaging and voicing concerns in moments that matter. In our tradition, there's a moment, a uh, notion of tochecha, an idea that says when you see something and you see someone doing something that doesn't hold up to Jewish value, you must speak out. Make no mistake. Critique is an act of love and a call for Israel to fulfill its promise to be a democracy and a just society. And if we don't, we may have to contend with a world without an Israel, as unthinkable as that is to say. And I assume for many of you it's unthinkable to hear. It's something that we have to acknowledge if we're not willing to take on a certain burden of this love. It is extremely challenging to think of something you love being threatened from within. It hurts our hearts to think of something, someone we love being threatened from within. But our love for Israel is not simply an emotional love, it's a committed love. And the thing about committed love is that while steadfast, it is soaked in responsibility and active participation. You each deserve your own relationship with Israel. You each deserve to have your own deep and critical and curious relationship with our homeland, one that brings you to all these different spaces of love and hope. We're being given permission from within. We're witnessing the vitality and resilience of the Israeli spirit. We have the chance to feed that spirit in this moment. The same spirit that allowed a group of dreamers to establish a vibrant country Truly one that has the potential to be a light to the world. I fell deeper in love with Israel over these last nine months. Nine months, Because in these last nine months, the voices of the Israeli spirit were amplified louder than they've ever been amplified in my lifetime. I have faith in that Israeli soul. The soul that can withstand strife. The soul that with a nurturing and loving acts from diaspora can lead to a more whole version of the state. This past week, Netanyahu did a little tour of America. And each stop on his tour, he was met by thousands of protesters voicing concern. Am Israel, the Jewish people, thousands speaking out. And if my words have somehow pushed you to even question hope, wait. This hope is not lost. How amazing is it that there is a democracy in the Middle East where you can voice these concerns without the threat of your life? Look at Iran over the past year, speaking out for truths that also matter with countless lives being lost because it isn't a safe space to voice concern. There is no reason to have lost hope, but there is a reason to be critically engaged and involved. Let's look at Netanyahu just a little deeper. I know I got all the way until now without really saying too much of his name. But Bibi Netanyahu is a very important character in the Israel story. He was a hero and a strategist that got Israel through some really important moments in time. But what happens when a good voice becomes a bad actor? What do you do with that love? Should I give up on my love for Israel for re-electing Netanyahu once his intentions changed? Are you prepared to give up on your home if the wrong people are elected at some point in your future? Throughout history, the flag of any given country has served to symbolize the people of power. That's just a fact. It's the way it works. The flag symbolizes government. And that's really tricky for people and civilians in moments of civil unrest. But the Israeli protesters have done something remarkable. They've taken their flag back. They have sent a clear message that the symbolism transcends any individual interpretation or political regime. That same flag that hangs on street lamps adorns business windows flown all over the state. That same flag is theirs in their moment of opposition. This summer, Levi and Sammy were very confused as to why there were so many flags everywhere. They even asked, is it Israel's birthday? Because the only time they had seen that in the American discourse is the 4th of July. But they have a different relationship to that flag. They allow that to be part of the shining out to the world. They allow that symbol to hold its space. This reclamation of the flag has served as a powerful testament to the enduring spirit of Israeli democracy. They've reclaimed it. They've infused it with new breath of life. It's no longer merely a symbol of government. Their flag that they continue to wave has become an unspoken symbol of connection throughout thousands of years and the fact that there is nothing to give up on yet. The heartbeat of the Israeli experiment deserves love. And equally important, you deserve that love. You deserve a complicated and amazing relationship. You deserve for a piece of your heart to be uncomfortably set aside across the world. You deserve to engage in these words of Am Yisrael. Think deeply about your own relationship to Israel and how you can love responsibly, particularly in complex political times. That love is the kind that reminds us to navigate even the most messy, contentious, painful situations with a call for hope. Let that anthem, anthem of Hatikva be a guiding light, reminding us that Israel's potential isn't diminished by challenge. It's being fueled, and their story is still unfolding. See your love as having something on the line. That to love Israel is to connect on many levels, this tapestry of love, of logic, and of symbolism. That when you say Yisrael or Yerushalayim in your prayers, you are tying ancient words into living out your Jewish values. Because the difficult and complex love, that's the love that we benefit and grow from the most. That's the love that becomes a shining spot of our identity. That's the love that matters. I have more than hope. I have faith that we as a people will not let Israel find itself in the curse of the eighth decade again. Because we are now an interconnected world, a connected people, both of the diaspora and those in the homeland. That's what didn't exist the first two times in Israel's story. We are the variable to the dilemma And if we decide to face the state with apathy and not with an act of love, then why shouldn't history repeat itself? We are Am Yisrael. The great experiment isn't separate from our experience. The great experiment is part of us too. Let us hold the hope that as a collective love and as an action of the people both within and outside of our homeland, we can guide it towards a future that aligns with its deepest and truest values. Am Yisrael Chai.